Well, good morning to you. Grateful to see you guys. If you are new to LifePoint, my name is Ed Travers. Grateful to have you here today on Father's Day on behalf of the entire staff of LifePoint. Happy Father's Day. Uh, I recognize just as a dad what it's like, uh, how important the role is. You guys know that, uh, you know, you go to work, you come home, and then you put your hard hat on because you get you got parenting time, right? And you spend time and you take care and you invest, and then you're like, please go to bed, <laughs> right? Well, today's our day, so happy Father's Day. I'm going to pray for all the fathers in a minute. Uh, and before I do that, though, I, I just want to say that if you are a guest, maybe you haven't checked in yet uh, with us, that do me a favor. Take out your phone and turn on the camera and put on the QR code on a chair in front of you, and that'll take you to a landing page called lpguest.com. That is our online connect card. So all the information about our church you can find there. Uh, there's a couple buttons I'll draw your attention to. One is the upcoming events. If you hit that, you can see all the things that are coming up on the calendar, things happening around LifePoint. Then there's the sermon notes. This button is particularly interesting because if you click it, you can actually follow along as I'm speaking and take your own notes. So you can do that and email them to yourself if you want a record of that. Um, and then there's also the guest information. And this is where if you haven't checked in, please do that. Fill out a little bit of information. Let us know how you heard about LifePoint. And then scroll down. There are five ministries we support from all of our campuses. And uh, we've been partnering with them for a long time. You can, if you like one of those, just check the box and we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry to say thanks. Uh, we said to God, look, if you're going to continue to bring guests, this is an easy way to honor you. So uh, you can join in that today. Um, Got to say, uh, you know, last week I mentioned that, uh, you know, these next two weeks are going to be my last week as a teaching pastor here, and I'll be moving to the Lewis Center campus to work, but I'll be teaching at all the campuses and working uh, in evangelism and apologetics and training and uh, doing a lot of pastoral care in different ways, uh, and a lot of you reached out. I just want to say thank you for the way that you've been loving on my family and praying for us and reaching out. Thank you. Um, we are going to have kind of like a little mini reception next week at the end of services, so we'll leave a little bit more room in between services for that, but I just want to say thank you. Uh, all my family will be there together uh, for all three services, so that'll be good. Um, I, I was thinking about Father's Day and thinking about my dad and all the things that my dad taught me this week. And, um, you know, every year, Father's Day, my dad has passed, so um, I don't get to celebrate him. And many of you probably are in the same boat as me. You know what that's like. So you think, you reminisce about things about your dad, all the th things he shared and taught me. One thing he did not share with me because he didn't have it was I don't know anything about cars. Uh, I know how to drive them. I mean, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> but anything under the hood, not my thing. Uh, I, I just don't know. And what the problem is, uh, I have to write checks when the cars have to be fixed, and that's all I know. Uh, so I can be taken advantage of, and I want to tell you about a time when someone tried to make a fool out of me. So let me explain. Um, of all my cars I've driven, my favorite car I ever owned was this one. It was a 1991 Honda Prelude. It had like the little, uh, you know, the little uh, lights that flipped up in front. It was a, it was a you know, two-door, five-speed coupe, and it was uh, fast. You could, I, you could be on the freeway behind someone doing 65, and if you wanted to get around them, you just barely punch it, and you're, you're right around. And it, it was fun. Tammy hated it because she couldn't drive a stick, I think. She, I think she thinks it's because I was always, like, jerking her back and forth, you know, as I'm transitioning. Well, I, I love the car, but one day I'm all the way out in Cambridge, and I'm driving home, and I'm almost to New Concord on 70, coming back. And I'm there, and the car just dies. So, you know, I had it towed to my mechanic, and the mechanic said, here's what happened. Your timing belt snapped, and as, as a result of that, all the lifters in the engine went up and bent. Now, I didn't even know what a lifter was, but nevertheless, they're all broken. So he tells me, it's going to be like, this is way back. He said, it's going to be like 1600 1700 bucks to fix your engine, which I'm like, are you kidding me? 
But, you know, I loved the car, and it was super economical at the time. Like, I, I had to do it. So I, I paid the money. I fixed the engine. I get the car back. I'm super happy about that. I'm driving on the freeway, and the car dies. No power. It just, I limped off to the side. I'm like, it's like, he, he, he messed up. Like, whatever he did, and I don't even know what happens underneath there, but I'm like, whatever he did, it was definitely wrong. So I'm, I'm like, I'm not going back to that mechanic. I'm going to. I'm going to do something. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm, I'm going to go to this other mechanic. And I go to the other mechanic. He calls me and says, hey, I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. And he's got a spreadsheet of all the things that are wrong with the car because you blew your engine. I'm like, blew my engine? I just fixed my engine. I'm like, that other mechanic ruined my engine. I'm going to get him. And, but I, I listened. I didn't tell him any of that yet because I wanted to hear what he, what he thought. He, so he's going through this. Yeah, man, you blew your engine. And now he's going through an itemized list of all the things that are wrong with the engine. And it's adding up to like 3,500 bucks. And I'm thinking, what? Now I'm really questioning life. So I'm, I'm listening, and I go down the list, and I saw the timing belt on there had to be replaced. I said, well, why do you have to replace the timing belt? He goes, oh, it's, it's old and cracked. And I went, you're lying to me. You liar. And I said, uh, why don't you just pack it up? He goes, and then he said this. He goes, I know hard news is tough to hear. I'm like, you're smug and a liar. Like, I'm like, I'm going to report you somehow. But I don't, I don't know how you report these people because he didn't have social media back then. But I said, just pack it up. I sent it back to the other mechanic. It was a thermostat, 30 bucks. That was the whole thing. That guy's a liar. He's trying to make a fool out of me. Not that that's that hard to do. But nevertheless, I'm, I've, I've, I'm in this series thinking about this passage. And it occurred to me about how this works. The series we're in, Under the Sun, it comes from the, the book of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon is teaching through this book. It's an amazing book. And the, the term under the sun, where we got this, it, he uses this term like over 30 times in the Bible. And here's the best working definition I can give you of what this means. Human reasoning, apart from an eternal perspective, without God's insight and revelation. Solomon, who was the king, who had it all, Endeavor to find out, can there be meaning? Can there be fulfillment and satisfaction in life apart from God? If there's no God, you take him completely out of the equation. Can he find satisfaction in life? So he set out to find out if that was possible. And the book of Ecclesiastes is the record of the wisdom he gained from this endeavor. What we're saying in this series every week is this, is that God offers a full life in an empty world. Here's what I know that's true of everybody is that nobody wants to be made a fool of. Nobody. Nobody wants uh, to get to the end of their life and say to themselves, wow, I was a fool. They don't want to be full of regrets. They don't want to be full of life, of, of thinking, man, I should have, I could have, I would have, but nobody wants that. And it doesn't matter where you're at from a spiritual perspective, whether you're a skeptic or you're, you know, you're all in with Jesus. Like Nobody wants to get to their life and face God as a fool. But here's also what I know is true of you and me is this, is that we are so controlled by the things that we feel that are so deep within us, our passions and our desires and our cravings. And this also is true, that most people who look back on their life say, I made this choice, I, I have this regret in my life, and when they look at that regret, they usually think, man, I was so fueled by my feelings and my passions that I made a bad decision. So then the question is, well, how do, how do we even know when we're being a fool? Because we're so controlled by what we feel and it's so strong within us. How do we know if we're about you know, to step in a pothole until we step in it because we've made a mistake? This is the, the conundrum we're in. And yet Solomon 
writing from a perspective of been there and done that is saying, don't be a fool. So how do we, how do we take this lesson in today? We're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And I want to say to you guys, listen, every time you sit across from the Bible, like it's just you and the Bible, or whether you're in a circle of people like a life group and the Bible's getting ready to be, be shared, or whether you're in a situation like this in a room, whenever you're going to open the Bible, just whisper a prayer under your breath, God, speak to me. The Bible says if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. There are times when if you just invite God into this moment, sometimes you see the Bible a little bit differently because God is trying to teach you something. So as I'm getting ready to pray, I'm going to pray for all the dads in this room. Um, but as you pray, pray that God will speak to you this morning, okay? Let's pray together. Uh, Father, I love that you are a father by the very nature of who you are, that you, you asked us to call you father. There's something about you that you, you challenge us and you change us and you correct us and you, you give us so many good things. You are a good father, Lord. I want to thank you for that. God, I, I pray for the dads in this room that they would sense just an extra uh, piece of grace that you've given to them today, that, that you, um, you show your mercy and grace to us as dads as we try our best, even when we make mistakes. And God, I also recognize there are people like me in the room that on Father's Day, it's just a little bit hollow because we miss our dads. And maybe there are people in the room who don't have a good relationship with their dads. God, I pray that you would give them grace today. But Lord, we ask that you would take this time, that you would share your word here uh, through your Holy Spirit, and it would speak to us. Help us to see what it means to not be a fool in this life. We ask that in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, Thank you. If you have a Bible, I want you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's almost in the middle of your Bible. If you get the Psalms, go a little bit to the right, you'll see Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. It's written by Solomon. And if you were here last week, then you know Solomon was the son of David. It was under David, who was the king of Israel, that he unified Israel as a nation under God. They had spent uh, you know, several centuries kind of drifting away from God, but it was David who had a heart for God that God chose, that he was the king, but David saw God as the true ruler over the nation. And so God unified the people of Israel. He kind of gave David victory over the enemies, and they kicked out their enemies, and they solidified the nation under God. David wanted to build a temple for God, but David had made some mistakes and had a lot of war in his life, and God said, no, your son Solomon is going to build my temple. And so his son Solomon, which he had with his wife Bathsheba, which he really is kind of a, a sad story because it started out so poorly between he and Bathsheba, and many of you guys know that story, uh, but God still blessed him. God never took away his hand of protection off David because David had a heart to turn to God even when he made mistakes. And so through Bathsheba, he had Solomon, and Solomon became the king. Solomon was young, and God came to him in a vision and said, ask me for whatever you want to ask me for. And this young man asked, would you give me wisdom to govern your people? And so God said, because you didn't ask for fame and for, for fortune and for long life, I'm going to give you all of those things, and I'm going to give you wisdom. So Solomon, during his lifetime, the, the most incredible uh, pinnacle of all of Israel's history happened under Solomon's leadership. That the nation literally became the most well-known and powerful nation in the Middle East and really in the world at that time. And they were so full of riches and power and acclaim. Like during his entire lifetime, God did so much. And Solomon wrote down some of the incredible works of wisdom that are ancient and yet relevant today. And this book is one of those. And it's an incredible book for a lot of reasons because what he set out to do, he had had it all. And decided, can I find meaning outside of God? If God did not exist, is there wisdom in the world? Is there satisfaction and fulfillment in the world? 
And he did it. Now he's writing about at an older age, looking back and going, here's what you need to learn from this endeavor. So the first thing I want to share with you is this, is that Solomon aims to indulge in all that life has to offer. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. Now, if you were here last week, then you know vanity uh, is, is the word meaningless. So when it says vanity, vanity, all is vanity, you could say, and a lot of translations say, meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. And the word itself, think of it as like this, it's like trying to grasp a mist. Like you see it, you grasp it, and you look, and it's empty. That's what he's saying. All his endeavors came up empty. So he aims here to find out, will pleasure do it? I just want to be happy. I want to know if I can find true happiness out of pleasure and if that fulfills my life. He's asking that question, and honestly, it's a question that all of us ask. Now, we may not say it verbally, but deep down, everybody wants to be happy. And so in his mind, he, he kind of aims for different things in his endeavor to figure out, is this going to make me happy? Will this make me happy? Will this make me happy? Here's his first thing, and I, I kind of I broke it into a couple here. Verse, verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So he's, he's going to start out by the party life. He just wants to party through life. He's, he wants laughter. Like, this guy wants to binge Netflix all day long. Like, bring in the best comedians into the temple or into the, you know, his, his court and just, it's just laugh all day. He only wants to surround himself with those who are going to make his life fun. He says, didn't work. Didn't work. He, so then he goes kind of the next one, verse 3. He says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. And my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He says, I, I want to I get drunk. I want to I drink wine. I want to have good cheer. That's what he's saying. And he knows that, okay, this, this is where he wants to keep his mind. Like he doesn't want to get so far that he loses his mind, but he wants to experience. Will this do it? This is what he's saying. I, I want to laugh and I want to party. I want to drink. And then... He goes on to say, talks about his harems, but I wanted to pull from a different passage. This is in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned his heart away from God. I mean, here's what he's doing. He wants to know, will intimacy do it? Will sex do it? He wants to party, he wants to drink, and he wants to have women. He's, he's the first official like sex, drugs, and rock and roll dude. This guy's a rock star. That's what he is. And he's thinking, is this going to do it? Is this going to make him happy? Interesting. And he's saying, it didn't work. I think about, um, about this. You know, is, does pleasure do it? And these things are all a gift, honestly. Like laughter, Solomon actually wrote about it. That it's, it, it, like, it cures the heart. It's like a medicine to the heart that when you're struggling, sometimes laughter is really good. But you also know that if you're going to live for laughter, there are moments that are not worth laughing over. And you just become inappropriate 
if you just try to erase all of the things out of your life except the things that, that make you laugh. Now, alcohol, he understood that's a gift. And, and let, me hear, let me tell you this, and I'm not gonna preach about alcohol today, but let me tell you something. Alcohol's not a sin. Nowhere are you gonna find that in, in the Bible. Jesus turned water into wine. It's not a sin. It is a gift from God. And yet, drunkenness is absolutely a sin. He's saying that, that look, this is a gift, but when you take it, when you indulge in these things beyond what's appropriate, it becomes a problem in your life. And he's saying it didn't, it didn't work. And, and let me just say, you don't know, you really don't know if for some people, they can't stop with one. What is a gift to you, like for other people, you, you just can't stop. And that can be a problem. That's, that's, that's all I'm gonna do. I'm gonna preach at you for a second. And then when it comes to women, I mean, sex is a gift from God. In the relationship of marriage where he gave it, it is an incredible gift. It's an incredible gift. And yet people use sex really for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with the giving and taking of a caring relationship. They use it for status. They use it to get what they want. They can use it just for elation. And they use people and they throw them away. Look, and does Solomon really love these women? Honestly, he had 72 children, a thousand ladies in his life. Does that mean he really loved them or he just loved being with them? He wasn't concerned with them. He was using them. Self-indulgement. It appeals to our cravings and yet it leaves us empty because our cravings are never filled. I, uh, I was thinking about this. I was, we were driving on the way over here and my daughter looked at me. She goes, so what are you gonna talk about today, daddy? I said, Solomon and his endeavor to be happy and something we all want. We all wanna be happy. Like everybody wants to be happy. There's a thing in your life that you think, if I had that, if I had a little more of that, if I had, and whatever it is, and everyone has their thing, that you believe you'll be happier. You'll be more fulfilled. And we aim for things. Like sometimes we pour a whole life into certain things thinking this is what's gonna make me happy. So I said to her, I said, imagine, imagine I had the money to make a production company. See, my daughter wants to star on Broadway in the musical Wicked one day. That is the prequel to The Wizard of Oz, these two, uh, you know, the, the two backstories of these witches. And anyway, it's a great musical, it's super fun, and it's, it's a clever story, but she wants to be on, on Broadway. I said, imagine I buy a production company and I hire Andina Menzel to mentor you, and then I put so much money into it so we can do this Broadway, and then here's what I do. I put out so much marketing because I own all the media companies and I make you a star and we do the show all over the world. She's like, huh? I'm like, yeah. You see, Solomon could actually get everything he wanted. There was nothing he aimed to do that he couldn't get. And what he's saying is, if you got your dream, if your dream came true, would it fill your life? And Solomon said, no, it won't work. Isn't that interesting? Pleasure didn't work. And let me tell you something about these, these things when it comes to pleasure. It won't matter in eternity. It really won't. Like, when we're walking in front of God, he's not gonna, he's not gonna ask. Like, so, you know, how was it? How'd it go for you down there? Did you get all you needed? Solomon recognized that self-indulgence didn't work. That's my next point. Solomon recognized that self-indulgence didn't work. In fact, he goes on to say that, you know, all the things that he did in his life, he realizes one equal thing among every person who ever lives and that they all die. Everyone dies. And so he says in verse 15, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool? What happened to me also? Why then have I been so very wise? And, and I said in my heart this, that this also is vanity. 
For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. See that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because whatever is done under the sun was grievous to me for it's all vanity and it's all striving after wind. This guy, he recognizes that all of his endeavors, even if he gets everything he wants, he's gonna die. So let me tell you about other things that he, he poured his life into. This one I think is interesting uh, in verse four. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. He's saying, I had employees that worked for me. I built everything I wanted. I had grand plans and I did it. I made forests and I found a way to, to water them in a desert. Like I did it all. And we know that if you look at his life, he was responsible under his leadership to build the temple, which was one of the ancient wonders of the world. He spent even more time on his palace. He built cities. He had chariots and armored people. I mean, he had a big military he created and, and no one could touch him during his lifetime. He, anything he, he put his mind to work, he did. This achievement, he thought, what if, okay, folly is one thing. What about my work? Will work really do it for me? And he did it, and he's saying it didn't work. Verse eight says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. Well, if you were here last week, I told you that uh, someone tried to figure out the present day value of all the things that, uh, that Solomon had owned. What was, what was the value? They looked at ancient weight measures to figure out, well, what would this weight be in today's time? Well, you know, how would it work? And, and I also said, and I think I'm right about this, that Jeff Bezos is the richest human being. He has like $200 billion, which is crazy money, right? Well, today's value of Solomon's worth is $2.3 trillion. In 1 Kings 10, it talks about how silver had no value in Israel because there was so much of it. Folly, like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, that's his life. His work, great works of his life, like he wants to put his name on the great big building downtown, or, or is, it, is it money? He wants to have like more money than you. He had all of it, every bit of it, and he said it didn't work. I think he also, uh, as he goes on to write there, I'm not gonna read to you now just for time's sake, but he's, he says, what if I have to leave it to a fool? What if all the stuff I gain, that you know, God's the one who chooses where it's gonna go anyway, what if I have to leave it to a fool? And you know what happened? His son, Roboam, terrible king. Under his leadership, the guy was a fool. Under his leadership, Israel split in two, Judah and Israel. Like <laughs> Solomon was right. He probably didn't know his kids that well. I mean, honestly, he had 72 of them. How do you, how do you invest as a dad? <laughs> in the 72 kids. So here's the question, okay. We all know, like, I don't, I don't wanna just live for self-indulgence. But we all have these things in our life that we know if I just had this and, and we kind of pour our lives into the thing, maybe it's gonna be work where we get, we get our identity. Maybe it's parenting or maybe it's our bank account. We wanna have enough or maybe it's the experiences of life or maybe it is fun. Like, I, I just wanna have, you know, season tickets to the Buckeyes games and live my whole life for the Buckeyes as long as they're winning, my life is great. Like, whatever it is in life, we have these things that, that we feel like this is what's gonna do it for me. How do you know you've crossed the line into self-indulgence? Because nobody 
Nobody who understands who Jesus is should live a self-indulgent life. In fact, he says, those who, who wanna gain life will lose it, and those who lose their life for Christ's sake will gain it. And, and we know on this side of the cross, on this side of true wisdom to understand the cross, that there is no human being who's good enough to be in God's sight. No, no human being. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every one of us has made enough bad choices, enough folly, and put our hand in God's face like Solomon was doing right here to basically say, enough of you. I'm doing it my way. We've all done that to some degree, and that separates us spiritually from God eternally. And yet God says, I love you anyway. I'll do whatever it takes that you'll know my love, and I'll make you righteous. Here's how I'll do it. I'll send my son. I'll send my own son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin so that if you come to me in faith, I will wash away your sins because of his blood that was shed on the cross. It will wipe you clean and you'll be able to walk in relationship with me again. The justice of God, he took care of the justice of God and yet the grace and mercy. And anyone who understands that goes, I can't just live for me. I don't deserve this. And, and we know, and yet there's something in us that still is driven towards self-indulgence. So how do you know you're getting there? So one guy said, if it's a thing that you really want, that if you don't get it, it makes you crazy inside. Like if, if someone else has it and you want it and it starts to make you super angry, if you're looking at the way the other kids get attention and your kid doesn't and you're like, it's, it's just making you just inflamed inside. If it's the money or the status or the, the, the vacation or this, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're like, I have to have it then it's possible you've crossed the line into self-indulgence and you've, you're heading down the same road as Solomon. And Solomon is saying, look, let's say you got it. Because he got it. It doesn't matter what it is you think you got. He got all of it. Every ounce of everything he ever wanted. Anything that a person could dream up. He's like, I got that too. It didn't work. Let me, let me share with you a quick story. I think I found in my life, this was a transforma transformational conversation I had with a guy I grew up with. Now, I, we grew up in the same neighborhood. He's a little bit older than me. And he was like the neighborhood awesome dude. Like he was super popular. And he was, he was a good looking kid. Uh, he was a great athlete and he could handle himself in a fight. So to a young boy, like this is everything boys look up to. Like he could, he could ride a wheelie on his bike. He could fight. He was good looking. The girls liked him. And he was the best football player, like that guy. And he was popular and confident. Well, when he got into his teen years, he also, because of who he was, he got a lot of lady friends. And he went down that road and started an intimacy very early and he became experienced. And that kind of just made him legendary to the boys in the locker room because he's telling stories about what he's doing. And on top of that, he now had experience and confidence. And because he was charming, good looking and a powerful kid, popular, he took advantage of lots of girls in his teen years. Like, that became kind of like his calling card. He was the player guy in school. And, you know, in the locker room, he was the legend who was, you know, he was with everybody and, you know, everyone knew about it, right? That became his identity. So what happens to a guy like that? Well, in his 20s, uh, he was kind of the same. You know, uh, he, he would be the guy that would go out to the club and would meet somebody. And, and here's the thing, we were roommates for a couple years. And, you know, you hear about those people that have the one night stands. Listen, I think, I think this guy was good at it because he had a lot of friends. Like, I met a lot of them the next day. I'm like, oh, you're new. I didn't say that because I was just rude, but, <laughs> oh, are you? Sh no, don't say the name. Don't ever say the name. I learned. Like, like what happened? So in his 20s, he just lived out the same thing. He, he looked at women like a conquest. I'll take this one. I'll take this one. It was almost like, you point to the one. I'll figure out how to get him. And he did. He was that guy. Well, he got tired of it. 
He got tired of that lifestyle. And finally, you know, as he entered into his 30s, he thought, you know, I'm going I'm to settle down. He found a wife. And, and, you know, his 30s and 40s, he, he's raising his kids. He has a wife. He struggled a lot in his relationship with his wife and struggled as a parent in different ways. And now he's in his 50s. He calls me, middle of the night. He, he usually calls me, like, when he's really struggling, like, oh, my friend Eddie. Like, he has an in with God. I'll talk to him about it. Like, so we talk. And here's what he said. He said, you know what? <clears throat> I spent a lot of my life taking advantage of women. And he said, and I, I regret it. I'm, I'm on the phone, I'm like, what? Like you, like I didn't say it. And I'm just, I don't wanna be a good listener. And he said, I, I just regret it. He goes, I wish I could go back and apologize to them. I said, how come? He goes, he goes man, I didn't force anyone to do anything, but I knew better. I took advantage of them for my own, my own gain. I used people for me. He said, now I'm raising two daughters and I'm trying to protect them from people like me. He said, it's not just that. He said, I don't have a great relationship with my wife when it comes to intimacy. I said, how so? He said, honestly, I train my heart to take. Sex is all about taking. I take this one, I take this one, I take what I want. I use people for me. And now I'm in a relationship that's supposed to be two-way. I don't know how to do it. I'm listening to him, I'm thinking, He's basically saying, don't be a fool. I think Solomon would say, don't be a fool. And Solomon had experience in all the areas. But isn't it interesting that the thing that you might look up to in the movies, like, well, there's the, that's the, you know, the leading man. And the guy who's the leading man says, it's actually dangerous and foolish. Isn't that interesting? This is what Solomon is saying in every of these areas that, that you really don't want to go down that road because it doesn't work. So then what's, what's the conclusion? And here's, here's kind of the way I, I put his conclusion is that an eternal perspective changes our current reality. He says this at, at the end of chapter two, verse 24. He says, there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. So all the things that he endeavors to do, if he's able to like to be able to, you know, have a good meal and enjoy a good drink, if he's able to, to find some, some enjoyment in his toil, then great. He says, for he says, um, enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. It's actually a gift of God to gain some of these things. Verse 25. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him. God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. He's saying, look, apart from God, here's what's gonna happen. You don't take any of this with you. All of your experiences and all the things you've collected are gonna go to someone else that God sees fit to give to. And you don't even have any control over what happens after you're gone. But to the one who understands eternity, who understands an eternal perspective of who God is, that there is a God in heaven who actually did make us and he didn't just leave us without his revelation and interaction. He's personally trying to pursue every one of us to know him. And we can see on this side of the cross that he has come to you to give you knowledge of the beauty of the gospel, the good news, that he wants a relationship with you. And because of that, that means that all the good things that happen in your life, all the gifts, you don't have to live for them. They don't have to become an idol in your life. They don't have to be the very thing that your life is made around. They simply become the gifts that God gives you an open hand to enjoy in the moment. Things like relationships and, and gifts of, of laughter 
and gifts of, of money and wealth when you need that. And, and, you know, all of the things that he gives you are good in their time, but they're just a gift from God. And he then, there's also times when you don't have those. That God would use also those times when, when you don't have because you, he teaches you to learn to depend on him. He uses that to build up your faith and connect to him. And there are times when other people come to your need because it helps them in those moments. There's incredible life and a full life that God wants to give us apart from just trying to live for the things that he made. I heard one guy say that, you know, God made it all and we're just playing with his stuff. He wants us to know him. And in light of eternity, what Solomon is saying is, if for those who understand God, understand that these are just gifts to be enjoyed, not to be lived on. It shouldn't become entitlements in our soul. So then, you know, realizing that these are gifts are gonna help you actually to enjoy your life and they will help you to be generous with them. The wisdom, the time, the money, the, the experiences, God will use those to help you share with others in a way that wouldn't happen if you're just trying to get for yourself. Like, I need this, I need this, I need this. When you become free in that, God helps you see that, man, others need some of this and it helps you and it creates a fuller life. And in eternity, in eternity, I guarantee you, no one's gonna care about the stuff. And I'm, I'm old enough in my life, I, I've been around enough now to see people at the end of their life and nobody cares about this stuff. They want relationships. I, let, me, let me share with you just a way that God has been teaching this to me in my life. I, I shared a passage about a year ago. Um, it's a passage of Simon the Pharisee. You guys remember that story? If you've been around, you remember this, but I'll, I'll refresh your memory. But Jesus goes to this Pharisee's house. He's the guest of honor, and Simon the Pharisee is there. Simon is a super religious guy, and uh, you know he knows God. He knows the Bible. That's Simon. He's the man. And here's this new, new rabbi in town named Jesus, and he comes in, and this woman kind of comes in, and she just burst in, and she's crying, and she, her tears are all over his feet, and, and she's like washing his feet and kissing his feet and using her hair to wipe like she is just making like a fool out of herself and Simon says under his breath well if he knew who she was he would be embarrassed and not let that happen now Jesus understanding the moment says tells this like little parable and basically says this those who've been forgiven much love much she loves much because she's been forgiven much and her story is going to be told everywhere now Simon's put in his place now I have to share the message and I you know, share this passage with everyone, and I'm thinking, God, does this apply to me? And here's what I thought to myself. I'm not Simon. Like, I love everybody. I love you guys. Like, I love everybody. Like, this doesn't apply to me. And so I'm, I'm going home, and I'm, I ask God, I'm like, what is, how does this apply to me? And God did a little surgery on the soul. Like, you know, have you ever had one of those moments where God shows you the truth of who you are? Well, here's what happened. I'm driving home, and there's this guy on the side of the road at, at, at the corner of Schrock and Cleveland. He's there all the time. I mean, I see him like three, four times a week. He's this young guy. And here's what I'm saying in my heart. This dude should be working. Like he's younger than me. He's definitely stronger than me. There's no reason this guy should be working and asking people. And so I pull up next to him and I never carry cash anyway, so it doesn't matter. But he, he looks at me in the glass and I do this. You know, like I go home and I told Tammy, I said, Tammy, I think I, think I might be Simon. And she's like, yeah, <laughs> like you're Simon. I'm like, I don't want to be Simon. What if I'm Simon the Pharisee and I'm looking down on the very people that God loves? How can that be me? Like, and I'm like, God, I don't want to be Simon. So I start praying. I'm like, God, you've got to change me somehow. I, I can't be Simon. 
So I start praying about it, and I pulled up next to this guy one day, and I, I, I saw him. I rolled down the window. He came over and said, hey, man, what's your name? He said, Mark. I said, well, my name is Ed, and here's the thing. I see you here a lot, but I never carry money. So he's looking at me like thinking, okay, I get nothing today. I said, I said Mark, what do you need? If I got something ahead of time and brought it, what would you need? He looked at me and goes, well, I already have a tent and I thought, you got a tent, buddy. You're setting big goals in life, Mark. He said, and I already have my toiletries. And I'm thinking, okay. He goes, you know what I need? I'm like, what? He goes, I need socks. I'm like, socks. Okay. All right. And well, the light turns green, so I have to leave, right? So I leave. I go home. I'm, I tell Tammy. I'm like, I, I, think, I think I need to buy him socks. So I go to the store and I get a couple different bags of socks, short socks and long socks. I don't know which one he'd like. So I put him in the front seat of my car and, and, and now I'm like, all right, God. And all of a sudden I don't see the guy for a while. I'm like, this, what are you doing here, God? Like, what's going on? Well, finally I see him one day. And so I pull up and there he is. I roll down the window. He comes over and say, hey, Mark. He comes over. I said, uh, and I hand him one of each because I didn't know which one he'd like. And he looks at me and goes, you got me socks. I went, Yeah. And then the light turned green, I had to go. So it was that quick interaction. And I thought to myself, I feel for this. I'm like, I enjoyed this moment. Like giving him socks actually brought me joy. And then I thought to myself, all right, God, here's what's gonna happen. Like I'm gonna be his sock connection. Like he'll, I'll be his sock hookup guy. Like I'll just bring him socks. And, and sooner or later, he's gonna wanna get coffee with me. He'll wanna hang out. I'll get to share the gospel with him. And one day he's gonna come to LifePoint. I'll get to baptize him. And you guys will all meet him. I'm, I've got it all planned out in my head. Well, here's what happened. And I'm, I mean this. I have never seen Mark since. Never. And I saw him probably 20 times. I go home. I'm like, Tammy, what the heck? What is God doing? She goes, I think he was an angel to teach you not to be Simon. I'm like, Listen, for the last year, I've had socks in my car, <laughs> all kinds of socks. I keep, I keep the wool socks for the wintertime. I got the short socks. I, got the big, I, just, I can't wait to find people and give them socks. Hey, now, look, I'm not trying to, it's stupid to make a big deal of me, but I want you to, to understand what I'm saying. I have some kind of richness thing going on in my heart where there was nothing but hatred. God has changed me. I now find joy in just giving socks to people that God cares about. He's changing me. He wants us to have a full life. And if you're doing this in life, trying to get a hold of everything, thinking this is what's gonna do it, you need to let go of it and say, God, you, you change this direction. And he'll bring a different kind of joy, a different type of satisfaction, a fullness in an empty world into your life. That's what I think Solomon's trying to say to us. And, and I think a good challenge for us. So here's, here's what I wanna do as we get ready to close out. I want to challenge you with that message in, in whatever way God is trying to, to stir up in you. So let's take a second. Let's stand and pray. And we're going to sing a last song and, and we're going to worship God. You know, we, we take these songs seriously. And, you know, every time we get a chance to sing out to God, to tell him how much we love him and how much we appreciate him. But before we do that, let's take a second and let's just talk to God. So I'm just going to ask you to kind of close your eyes and bow your head. And here's what I want you to ask God. Say, God, is there an area of my life where I've been trying to find satisfaction in this world that's actually out of balance? Maybe as I've been talking, you already know what that is. Like you, you don't even have to think about it. You know where it is.
and, and I've seen enough people ruin their lives, that, you know, ruin relationships with their spouses because of sex. I've seen people who've ruined relationships with their kids because of work, money. I've, I've seen all those things. You, you know what your thing is. Here's what I want you to do. Tell God, God, I have, I've been going the wrong direction in this area of my life. And I just want you to submit that to God. Say, God, this is yours, whatever it is. Say, God, I'm giving this part of my life to you. Teach my heart to find joy in you rather than this. Just say, God, I'm, I'm surrendering this to you. Just tell him. And maybe, maybe you came in here and you've already learned this lesson in an area of your life. That you're, you're at a point, a season in your life where you look back at that and think, man, I'll never do that again. That was dumb. Here's what I want you to do. Say, God, help me to be available, just like Solomon, to be able to share this with someone else who needs to hear it. And then say, God, help me to share it in a way that's received well. I don't wanna point fingers at anyone, but help me to share it with the kind of grace and mercy that you have. Listen, he wants to use your experiences for the benefit of the kingdom of God. And just as we're praying, I, I wanna say that maybe you came in today and you would say, you know what? I don't know if I've ever made eternity part of my soul. I've never, I've never made it right with God. And maybe you've been living for the wrong things and you know it, thinking it's gonna fulfill your life. Well, if you're here today in that posture and you know you wanna make it right with God, here's what you do. By faith, you say to God right now in your heart, God in heaven, I believe in you and I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. You can just say it under your breath. You can say it in your mind. You can say it in your heart. He's reading your heart right now anyway. He knows. Just tell him, God, I, I want you to hear me. I believe. The Bible says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You just by faith say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I am sorry that I have sinned against you. And I'm sorry, I'm asking you to forgive me, Jesus. And I say, Jesus, will you, will you lead my life? Help me to follow you as best I know how. You need to know when you make that statement to the Lord, he already knows your heart, he knows your future. It doesn't mean you're gonna be a perfect human being. You are gonna make mistakes and he knows that, but it's the posture of your heart to follow Jesus as the Lord of your life by faith, as best you know how. When you sense Jesus leading you, you just try to follow and cooperate with Jesus. Let me give you a first step today. If you just made that prayer, Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my father in heaven. So I'm gonna help you to acknowledge him just between you and me and God right now. That if that was you and you just prayed that prayer and you wanna be a follower of Jesus, just acknowledge that by raising your hand up and say, Ed, I want you to see, and God, I want you to see. If that's you anywhere in the room, high enough that I can see. I see you there in the back, many of you, anyone else? Let me put your hands down. God, I, I know that you have a purpose for all of us being here today. And for some, it's just to remind us not to be Simon. Thank you, God, I'll take that one. Help me. I pray for all of us in this room that you help us to, to live a life that doesn't get caught up in things that we'll look back on and say, why was I a fool? God, teach us to, teach us to sense your Holy Spirit and to follow the lead of your Holy Spirit in life. Teach us to what it means to have a full life here in an empty world. And we ask all this in your son's name, amen. As we get ready to sing, I wanna invite you to do one last thing. As we, as we sing a praise song to the Lord, that if you feel like God's stirring something in your soul and you want to talk to someone or have someone pray for you, or maybe you think, I just need a resource, 
and we start singing, just head back to next steps in the back corner of the room. Trust me on this. Like, you don't have to share a bunch of details. Just say, look, I, I need someone to help me. Like, if you just made a, a first-time commitment to Christ and you want a book, they'll give you one for free. Just go and say, hey, what's the book I talked about? And they'll give it to you for free. It's called Your Next 30 Days. If you want some help or prayer, just head back there. And for everyone else, let's think about these words we're singing and praise God.